I've like been coined saying this for years is that nothing can replace you being across and being able to hold a client's hand, pushing the tissue box or giving them a tissue as they're going through their life events. None of that wisdom and empathy that you can share with a client can be given through technology other than aided through Zoom like we're doing today. It's a tremendous aid. It's just not going to replace us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Connected. I am your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of MileMarker. And today I have the privilege of being joined by Carolyn Armitage. Carolyn is the founder and CEO of an organization called True Circle. She has over 30 years of very relevant wealth management experience to you listening to this show, and she's going to help you grow today. She's passionate about painting, which I got to have a cool conversation with her about in prep for this uh, discussion. Um, and she also is an enthusiastic mom and somebody who really cares about leaving everything that she touches better than how she found it. Carolyn, did I miss anything in that intro? Oh, that was pretty delightful. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thanks so much for carving out some time to come and chat with us on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I actually want to talk a little bit about True Circle to start, because it's not often that you find somebody in our industry who has as much relevant experience as you do in growing and managing complex wealth management firms, who also has a full-blown nonprofit that they are also running simultaneously. So Tell us about that. How did that come to be? And, and, and what is it all about for the audience who isn't familiar? Yeah, thank you. So I, for many years, decades, have written the big checks, gone to the big galas and parties and all of that. And I do love supporting organizations that way. It's not the same as hands-on help. And some organizations, some of the fundraising efforts, not enough, in my view, goes directly to help the people you're trying to help or the whatever the cause is. And so back in the financial recession, well over, I guess, 15 years ago now, things were pretty bleak out there. And I was in a situation where both my husband and I were between roles, and yet we knew we were going to be okay. And so normally for my birthday, we would go take some big elaborate trip somewhere and that just didn't feel right because so many people were hurting. So we decided to do something for others instead of myself or ourselves. And I just kind of came up with the idea of doing a backpack or a go bag giveaway for people who are experiencing homelessness. So I did one for every age I was old. So I won't tell you exactly what that number was I started with, but it was a whole lot. It was 15 years, 15 years younger than today. And uh, once I hit 50, I actually just went to 100. I had a dear friend who about a decade ago now, like shared with me that it'd be a whole lot easier for me to raise funds and merchandise if I was a 501c3. And that I could easily incorporate because of the true pureness of the nonprofit. And so I went through all the filings and I was with LPL at the time. And they were very supportive. So I filed and became a 501c3 public nonprofit organization. The beauty of having that is, one, I work from home for that. So I have no expenses to the organization. 
And most of the things that I get are donated in kind donations and then some considerable cash donations too that will help supplement what we need for the go bags. So a few times a year, we'll put together a hundred bags at a time. And that's simply because that's all the room I can fit in my garage or one of the spare bedrooms or what have you. And we put in hats and socks and t-shirts, underwear, food for a couple of days, toiletries, sometimes journals and other things that we get, load up a couple of SUVs and go to places where people are living on the streets. Uh, we'll listen to their stories. We've caught somebody when they were calling a suicide prevention line and sat with him and talked with him until his friend came back. We have such an amazing country that we live in, and yet there are some people that are so mentally, physically, emotionally distraught, and they just don't know where to turn. And so we're not solving their problems, but we are providing sustenance for a couple of days and some compassion and love. And even the food, like we've had run into so many people that hadn't eaten for a couple of days. So it's it was been a really fulfilling mission. Uh, our kids have been involved, which oh, that's has cool. been great to help them see how some folks are existing, right? And to be mindful that not everybody is as fortunate as they are. That's wonderful. Uh, I love to hear that. I'm curious to understand the connection between so financial recessions going on, you know, at the time, and obviously lots of people losing their jobs and, and whatever, but the connection between that and then helping, helping those were, that were homeless and, and even putting together bags for the homeless. So kind of help me bridge that gap a little bit on what, how did you find that to become passionate about? I understand the catalyst of the recession of, Hey, lots of people yeah. hurting. And then, you know, but, but how did that lead to go bags? I think that's a really cool bridge. Yeah. Thank you. So, in Looking at what we can do to support others, we knew we would be okay. We had savings and both very sure. able to work, but nice network. And so while I could have done a nonprofit for pets or raise more money for cancer research or something like that, or like you've got a great lion poster in your background, like I love cats, I feel that people come first. I've always felt that. And I know there's a lot of folks that have been rejected by their families for whatever reason, uh, whether it was they were let out of the hospitals back in the 80s and I've been living on the streets since. I feel I wanted to help people when they're at their worst, knowing that communities, I feel, and kind of humanity are kind of judged on how you treat your most marginalized or people on the fringe. And so interestingly enough, our logo for True Circle it's kind of like an Enzo circle. However, like there's a lot of symbolism in there. There's like clasped hands reaching down, giving somebody a hug and kind of representing that fringe of our society. That's like, really neat. Thank uh, you. Because I know that in our space, there's a huge effort, our space being the wealth management industry, there's an effort to, to try to make the gates wider, figure out how to reach more people. But even the people that we're opening the gates for are still people who, you know, have have enough to be trying to plan for the future and, you know, trying to figure out their their lives. So I think sometimes, for better or for worse, a lot of people in this space would probably admit that we, you know, we might spend too much time focused on, 
you know, those who are, who are doing very well. And I think having a connection to, like you're talking about, people who may be down on their luck and not just writing a check to help, but actually going, um, and as, as a friend of mine, Tyrone Ross says, getting proximate to those people, yeah. um, it makes a massive difference. Because I also think too, as somebody who's, who's spent a, a fair amount of time doing similar things, we all have an idea in our head of what, you know, how these people got into those scenarios or, you know, what got them there in the first place or anything. And, and most times it couldn't be further from the truth. And you can only find that out by hearing their stories. So I love to, to hear that you're saying you're not just going and dropping off bags and saying, hey, I hope for the best, but that you're actually hearing their stories, understanding what's going on. And I love the origin story of that. That's really neat. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really, you really get more back than you give. It's a pretty selfless way to give back that I've been able to get a lot of our communities involved, whether it's churches, the Girl Scouts, just friends, neighbors, some coworkers. It's been really cool to see how folks rally around it. And uh, it's also very flexible for an executive schedule to be able to fit all that in. Yeah. I love the flexibility too. That's great. Uh, okay, so I love that as a as a way to start the discussion. Obviously, um, you spend a lot of time investing in that, but you've also you know you've built your career in the wealth management space. You mentioned LPL. You've been at a couple of other different stops along the way, um, mostly in, in leadership and, and growth roles for firms that are there. Um, a lot of the audience that listens to this podcast are owners of RIAs, people who want to grow uh, their businesses. Um, I'd love to just kind of give you an open floor to talk about, you know, what are some of the challenges facing an RIA that's trying to grow today? And, uh, you know, we'll follow that up. I'll, 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 you know, say it now, but we'll follow that up with what does it take to grow a firm today in a challenging environment? Yeah, it's a really broad, open question. And I thank you for the floor to be kind of broad as well. It certainly depends on what phase you're at. And whether you're building an empire or you're building a lifestyle practice, right? Those are very different approaches. So it's hard to have an answer that fits everyone. Where I may be most helpful is to talk about the personnel element, the people element, right? We are in a service business. And so without the right people, without hiring the right people and retaining them and getting their full involvement, allowing their whole self to show up for work, you'll be less successful than others who are fully embracing their workforce. And the workforce has dramatically changed, right? So our independent financial services industry is a industry built by founders. They came either from the warehouse space or the insurance industry. And they wanted to do things better than those organizations were doing. And so they wanted breadth of product, no proprietary. They're very individualistic and entrepreneurial, which is fabulous. And we need that. What will take our industry from where we've been for the last 20, 30 years to the next 20 and 30 years will likely be a different skill set. Instead of that founding, it's usually the expansion of the growth of that organization as that next generation takes over from those founding, generally fathers of our industry. And so that building out of the next generation takes a far different skill set. It's not as entrepreneurial or as bleeding edge of entrepreneurial as what our founding fathers had. 
to go through for the industry, right? They didn't even have decent technology back then. It was DOS-based. It wasn't even Windows back then. We have come a long way in the last 20, 30 years, and that will continue to expand. One of the things I'm passionate about is building and leading teams. I think the old school ways of like my way or the highway doesn't really fly with today's millennials and Gen Zs. I've got three millennials and one Gen Z child, children. It's been fascinating, not only through their lens, but also through my younger employees' lenses to see how they view the workplace and what they appreciate and how that changing mentality has surfaced, such as how my older brothers and sisters, my father and mother were in the workplace. They stayed with the company for most of their career, the same company, to get that gold watch and their pension and and retire. And today's worker is an almost like an independent contractor. They're employees, but they are in it for themselves and their balance of work-life balance. And I really applaud millennials for taking that approach on, perhaps seeing their boomer or Gen X parents burn themselves out, wanting more in life than just money. They really are looking for that balance and a career path not just they will trust in the company for the company to do what's right for them, because I've seen too many of their peers, their mentors, sometimes their parents go through periods of drastic unemployment and changes. And there's a lot of industries that are consolidating, not just financial services. And so they've really taken more ownership of their career and want an employer who allows them to show up with their individual self and not just be a corporate soldier, if you will. I think a great way to kind of experience this is with Future Proof. Future Proof was a festival that was just held the only wealth management festival that I know of, thus the largest. And it was just held at Huntington Beach a couple weeks ago, the second year of the conference. And they allow folks to set their armor down and outside the gates, so to speak. And this is all emotionally speaking, where folks show up with their true authentic selves. They are willing and open to share with each other. So it's not like a combative, confrontational, dog-eat-dog world, even though they may be in close proximity to each other. They understand that the pie can get bigger and is getting bigger. And so when it comes to hiring and retaining employees, I think it's really keen that if it's not your strength, that you hire someone who can do it. Usually RAs don't need like a full-time HR person until they get to about 30 employees. Then you get to enough issues, enough complexity, challenges with benefits and employee issues and things like that where, okay, you need a full-time HR person. Before that, you can usually do an, a rent-to-HR or hire an organization called a professional employee organization or employment organization. Those are known as PEO, and those provide you access to the compliant tools of HR. They provide you access to group benefits, even when you're a 
small, maybe you're a two, three, five, seven person firm, you could still have access to benefits, including health insurance group benefits of large organizations at really competitive rates. And so employees don't want just fair compensation, the benefit package, and the benefit package can include not just the health insurance, life insurance, paid time off, volunteer time off. You can do flexible spending accounts. There's 401ks, Roth 401ks, and even more plans than that. You can really provide a very robust package, even if you're a three or five person organization. So using those could be a good attractive model for attaining employees. But the side of managing, like the care and feeding of employees, is not a skill set all financial advisors know. Uh, Some of them may never had formal training in managing people, and so it becomes quite a challenge. So if it is, hire someone with those skills to help you. It will yield tenfold in returns to your organization. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. And but first, I have to I have to commend you because I asked uh, kind of what are some of the challenges facing you know organizations today, but also what are growth opportunities. And I think you answered both kind of with the the one thing, which is who are the people that you have in your organization. And I love this conversation because I obviously spend a lot of my time thinking about the technology side of the RIA business and how that can help make the people in the building more effective, but. There is still yet to be any technology that can replace a need for people in any business. And I don't think we are, we are anywhere in the realm of getting those or, or if we'll ever get there. Yeah, I, was, I agree with you on that. I do think technology is a, a fabulous enabler for efficiency purposes. It helps all employees and it's critical information that you need to keep like for a CRM, that central nervous system of the organization. And in case you do lose somebody, you still have the data integrity in that CRM. And I would love to see more of the robo applications available because our society is becoming such a society of have and have nots. We need someone in this country to serve middle classes and help bring them up, help them invest and save for the future. And it's hard for most wealth managers to do that because they don't necessarily have the investable assets of a million dollars or $2 million or whatever that threshold is for the RIA. So I do think technology is super important and organizations need both. Yet, I, I've like been coined saying this for years, is that nothing can replace you being across and being able to hold a client's hand, pushing the tissue box or re- giving them a tissue as they're going through their life events None of that wisdom and empathy that you can share with a client can be given through technology, other than aided through Zoom like we're doing today. It's a tremendous aid. It's just not going to replace us. It's not the same. And and you're, you're absolutely right. But what I want to unpack uh, with this a bit, though, is, okay, so technology is not going to replace that human element. We know that. It's also not great for replacing that service element. And so you talked a bit about what this next generation is looking for out of work, you know, and I think that was that was astute. And so there's a couple of things I'd like to unpack here around this. So number one, there's kind of this discussion around the war for talent for advisors. 
And, and going way back to the beginning of your answer, you said, okay, if you're a lifestyle practice or you're trying to build an empire, which I think is a good distinction. But let's talk about that firm that maybe desires to build a big firm at scale, but they're, you know, at the early stages of it. Maybe they're kind of coming out of a lifestyle practice. They might not have the resources of a, of a big firm that's already scaling. How should they think about creating an environment that is enticing to this next generation coming in? Maybe you talked about PEOs is good, but they might not have the established career paths that a bigger firm might have because the firm is has enough clients that you can create career tracks and all of these sort of things. So if you're kind of like, I aspire to be at that place, but I don't really know how to offer a career path yet to somebody coming out of college or anything like that, what would you say to that firm owner? Yeah, it's, it's really a great issue that a lot of folks don't know how to solve. And even if you are a sole proprietor just starting out, you can build the framework for your larger organization. One of the most amazing challenges, you know, people talk about a five-year business plan and my gosh, the market changes so dramatically in five years. I like to have clients think about a 25-year framework. So if you're just starting off building your business, or even if you're 30, 35, think about 25 years out what your organization would look like if you're building this empire. You can build the framework. You can build the career path. It's usually four or five different steps. You put job descriptions with it, expectations with it. It's a pretty, I don't want to be demeaning, it, it is a simple framework to construct even if you're not directly hiring for those positions today, it's what you envision. In order for an organization to grow, they have to know why they want to grow. What's the purpose? And if it's just money to put more money in your pocket, you're going to fail. You be successful with your own clientele, but no one else is going to be attracted to that. You need some type of compelling distinction or wedge that will put you ahead of the competitor just down the street. One of the nice descriptors I always like to use is that as a business owner, you can't really see your label from inside the jar. And so it's hard to look objectively at your own organization. So if you can put yourself outside the jar and what does an employee or an advisor see in your organization and improve your distinct advantage? Many organizations today are having a difficult time recruiting advisors because they sound just like everybody else on the street. It's comprehensive wealth management. We do financial planning. We do asset management. It all sounds the same to somebody coming in. So sometimes organizations win with a superstar that is such a big name in the industry. Great example would be like a Ron Carson. Like the brand is him. He has brought all these amazing people to Carson Wealth Management because he was such a visionary in our industry. Not every good leader has that charisma that Ron does. So maybe they have business acumen. Yeah, that's hard to shine and really show off and make it an advantage for an advisor to join you. Same with investment performance. That's a tough one to be consistent at, and not a lot of firms sell the performance. They sell their process and their fiduciary standards, not the returns, because you can't assure those going forward. So it really boils down to your distinct value proposition, if you work in a niche or not, 
how you treat people, the type of people you keep, who's the company you keep. And that is what is your culture. So it's pretty squishy and it's tough for someone to provide guidance on somebody else's culture until you can actually see it and feel it. But when you walk into somebody's office, you get that first flavor of culture and what does that look like and feel like for the organization? How do the employees treat each other? How do they treat vendors or strategic partners? How do they treat their clients? This podcast is brought to you by Turncast. We make game-changing content for fintech and financial services companies. Learn more at turncast.com. I'm curious because I think that the wealth management industry can provide a great career path for a lot of people. I mean, it's it, it's relatively well-paying, you know, it can it can be a very satisfying career, but yet I still think there's a challenge of maybe the brand perception of the industry as a whole or maybe just people not knowing that there's jobs in it without, you know, maybe a, a parent who worked in it or something along those lines. So I'm trying to think of, you know, if I'm an RIA owner out there, how do I get more people to know, you know, that this is a good career path and you should think about coming and doing this rather than working at maybe the digital marketing agency that you're you're thinking of or uh, maybe the big retail company I'm in Atlanta. So like rather than going to work at Home Depot or going to work at Coke or something like that, like, hey, really think about, uh, you know, a career in an RIA or, or in the wealth management space. Yeah. How would you think about that? Terrific topic. And I think it's easier for larger institutions to do this type of groundwork because they have the ability to spread those costs among many different departments, or they have a department specifically for this development. For individual RIAs out there in the marketplace who want to make a difference, I would suggest starting at the elementary school level and the high school level. Intermediate school level have Kids are a little too distracted. They're going through a little too much growth of their own <laughs> to really focus in on this. I have done, personally, like with the Boys and Girls Clubs, visited with kids who are in kindergarten. And I'm not talking about the complicated world of wealth management. They wouldn't know that. But talking about money and that you can save some money. And yes, you have to sp spend some money on what you need to do. But saving money for the future and show them how things compound and things like that. At the end of one of my sessions, one of the little boys is like, I want to be a financial advisor when I grow up. I do think most folks outside of our industry think of our industry as financial advisors alone, as you're saying, right? And there's so many other professions between marketing and compliance and administration operations. There's so much that can be done. Having a financial advisor speak in the schools, right, which can also translate into college funding for the parents and letting parents aware of these terrific roles and opportunities. And then at the high school level, as folks are looking for their careers and or what colleges they're going to go to, to help promote our industry and that it's financial advisors is a phenomenal career. So many intrinsic rewards in addition to the financial rewards. Also, there's careers in all of these dis different disciplines that they could consider and that we need to come into the industry as our industry continues to grow. I love it. Uh, you're very thoughtful about all of this stuff because, uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't think this is where the conversation was going to go today. Um, and we're actually, we're, we're, you know, we're flying through this interview, so we're going to have to bring you back. I really do think that 
hiring and your team is, it's talked about a lot because that is actually how most firms today grow. Going back to the technology side, I think what's interesting is that a lot of times looking at the investment it will take to, to, you know, to build technology out or something, a lot of people end up just hiring instead, right? You know, we'll just, we'll hire and all of that. So I do think this has been a fascinating conversation so far around what is always the largest piece of the the balance sheet for advisors is headcount and is people, right? So if that's going to be the largest, I don't want to call it an expense because that doesn't sound right, but if that's the largest expense on your balance sheet as an advisor, how do you be really, really thoughtful about taking care of those people, about building the culture and an environment for them to thrive? And then most importantly, how to build a career track that they can grow in their career and stick with you and stay with you. But but one thing, and, and I'll obviously let you you answer to this, but one thing you mentioned in all of those discussions is you can't deny the data that millennials and Gen Z now, as they're coming into their careers, they don't stay with a firm, you know, for 25 plus years anymore. You said that earlier. And most of these advisors have an admin that's worked with them since they started the firm and they've been there together through it through thick and thin. But do, should they just embrace this and should they build sort of a, you know, a, an environment where it's like, if you want to be somebody who's going to be here three to five years to learn something, you know, we'll be a launch pad for you. And we kind of have a path for that. And, you know, maybe you come in and you decide, hey, I really like it here. I want to be here for a decade or longer. We have a path for that, too. Do you think firms should just embrace that idea and say, I'm not going to expect everybody's going to want to work here for 10 years because I'm a special snowflake? Like, how should they think about that? Yeah, great, uh, great comment. So let's talk about the income statement for a moment, because you mentioned that. And the personnel cost is the oftentimes the largest expense on an income statement. It's usually 50% of every dollar you bring in. So if a firm earns a dollar, 50 cents goes to the payroll expense and taxes, payroll taxes, 25 cents to overhead and 25 cent profit is the average for an RIA. With the better run firms, 35% in North, I've even seen firms as high as 67% profit margin. So with it being so expensive, it's also so complex. It's not easy because you have everybody's own personality with their perspectives, their history, their experience, their baggage. It doesn't operate like technology right? It, it is very individualistic. And ideally, a firm would be built so that you attract people who want to stay. Usually folks will leave for another opportunity when they're not satisfied with their current employer. And that may be because of their direct manager. They don't feel listened to or heard. They don't feel that they really have a seat at the table and can give input. They may not feel like they can show up as their whole self. There could be ethical concerns for what the firm's doing. It could be boring, uninteresting work, right? So a lot of talent gets underutilized at organizations because folks aren't really knowing that the employee can handle more than what is on their plate. So it's really this delicate balance of understanding where an employee is and what they want out of the relationship. So it starts with having a very authentic, transparent air of culture, uh, like a psychologically safe environment where it's okay to speak up. I want to hear where you're unhappy, how you want to be fulfilled, right? Like some people don't want to raise, they would rather have a few hours off 
or to be able to dress casually coming into the office or maybe working from home a few days. Literally just having the conversation of what is important to that employee and seeing how you can see the work that you needs to be done where there can be a nice marriage between the two. I'm not promoting that you should have chaos and every employee has their own individualized plan. That would be very difficult to manage. But there are ways where you can show the employees, if you stay here, if you want a career in financial services, this is what it looks like at our firm. And make it an enjoyable place to be with mutual respect. I think a lot of times there's not mutual respect in organizations. I've seen organizations where they're like, we did a 360 and everybody says we're great. And yet we have really high turnover. That when you take a deeper dive into that, you see the employees were afraid to answer honestly. And as a CEO of your organization, you are doing yourself a tremendous disservice if you don't very transparently welcome honest feedback. It needs to be given with respect, but you want dissenting opinions. You want a variety of opinions in order to make the best decision going forward. And that's something I've definitely learned as a CEO is you don't have all the answers. And having a diversity of team members is really important. In fact, one of the first things I will do with a team, whether I'm building it from scratch or I'm stepping in and taking over a team, is to do an assessment and ask each one of them to fill out you know, one of those DISC profile questionnaires or something like that and plot all of our employees and with their permission, show that plotted chart and talk about where our differences are and where our alignments are so that we can help enhance communication as to where there may be potential conflict coming down the road in the future and where you might need to help somebody along because they're not a driver type personality. But having all four quadrants is in my view, really important to have a solid team. A team can only go as far as your weakest link, right? And usually the weakest link within the team is lack of communication. It's not the person themselves. It's lack of communication, lack of expectations. Very good. All right. Well, I'm going to segue here a little bit into asking you to get out your crystal ball. So you've spent a considerable amount of time in the space. We've been talking a lot about talent for advisors, how to make best use of that talent, how to create environments for that talent to thrive. But as you get out your crystal ball and you look towards what this industry is going to look like, what do you think changes or stays the same, however you want to answer it, as you look about our industry in the future? Yeah, it's a great question. I wish I had that actual crystal ball. <laughs> when you take a look at the macro trend of our consolidation that needs to happen, right? So there's certain things that we know are inevitable. Advisors are aging. Clients are aging. The cost of compliance, the cost of technology is going to continue to go up, particularly because of cybersecurity. Uh, I think some of these economies of scale with technology, those prices come down. But cybersecurity is ever important. So with that, the trend of consolidation is going to continue to happen for the next 10 years at least. And so with that, you see a lot of aggregators, some consolidators. Uh, I think you'll see more integrators going forward. So for example, there's many firms that have purchased a variety of wealth management shops, really high quality wealth management shops. We haven't necessarily 
realized the synergies they expected from the income statements through the deal terms because they haven't necessarily integrated. And maybe that was part of their value proposition is that we're going to acquire you and everything's going to stay exactly the same, just the ownership changes. Over time, it's been my experience that that definitely changes and things do stay the same for a couple of years. And then the integration happens. So I think we'll see a lot more brands integrating and a lot more proliferation of a brand name versus the variety of individual brand names that we have today. So I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, consider it more like not quite a franchise model because it wouldn't be a franchise, but consistency is really that underlying element across what these firms are looking for so that they can have one example of a intake form or a client profile questionnaire, for example. Have consistency throughout the organization. Even if you're in all 50 states, it makes sense to have that consistency. All of that would feed into a central one CRM system as opposed to having two or three or something, having something at a local level. I think some of that institutionalization or professionalization of our industry has really been needed for a long time. So the private equity money that's coming into our space is helping this professionalization that, quite frankly, probably wouldn't happen without it. So I think that's a tremendous benefit. At the same time, I think our industry is still going to grow with a number of smaller startup firms, some of the firms transitioning out of the brokerage side of the business, more into the fee-based side of the business. While there still is a place for the brokerage side of the business, and I I do hope that industry never fades away because it serves the smaller-end clientele that we were talking about earlier, and I think it can be a terrific solution for those folks. It's hard for advisors to not be attracted to the consistency of revenue stream that comes in from the advisory side of the business, as well as those intrinsic rewards of working with clients in a fiduciary capacity. So I would say number one prediction of the future is the continued consolidation. We'll see more integration, more household name brands in the marketplace beyond just the custodians. Yeah, We're already seeing that with some ads on TV, like creative planning is a great example. They're doing a lot of advertising on TV, at least in my space. So I think we'll see more of that. That That is great. That's insightful. Uh, you hear lots of people talk about technology integration, and I think everybody's had to figure out how to do integration with all of the M&A going on, not technology integration, but a company integration. Um, and I love the distinction there of you have these fully independent firms, you have these aggregators, but you you will need integrators, people who who help fold these in. As a follow-up to that, I want to talk about, I've heard this, this discussion around, okay, national firms are going to become more of the norm. But yet the RIA space has grown so quickly on the promise and premise of being independent. So it feels like there's this tension of, I want to plug into infrastructure and platform who can help me with compliance, with marketing, with technology, with operations. I don't want to do all of this on my own because I've gone out and seen how hard it is to manage all of these things. And there's just not enough resources to do all of it and still serve my clients and grow my firm. And I agree with you that I think it makes sense to centralize the marketing and the rainmaking and the client acquisition there as well. But isn't that somewhat at odds with 
you know, full and true independence for these firms. So talk about that and unpack that a little bit. So I don't know if it's at odds. I think it's more at scale. I like to think of it as a barbell approach, right? So I think there's a dramatic need, desire, and opportunity for boutique RAs out there in the marketplace. They can create a very large local brand. They can be complete independent business owner and to set all of their own pace and do it their way. At some point, they too will need to pass the reins to the next generation. And you can do that with an internal equity sharing plan or an outright sale. I have actually grown some of these organizations or helped the CEOs grow these organizations where it becomes cost prohibitive for the next generation to acquire these firms. The very firms they were helping to build and they expected to acquire now becomes something that's a little beyond their comfort level. So those firms will, in time, need to turn to someone else for selling of that organization. And that's where the private equity firms come in. So having scale isn't necessarily a bad thing. There's many investors who want a big brand name, and there's comfort and assurance in that bigger brand. And then there's those that, I don't want a big brand. I don't trust them. I want somebody small, local that I know. There's definitely room for both types of brands in the marketplace. And I think giving clients a choice is far more valuable than if we were all homogeneous and all doing the exact same thing with the same name. I love it. Uh, we're definitely going to have to have you back because we didn't even have time to really dive into more of the M&A stuff, like what is a type of firm that is a, is it a target um, acquisition, all of these things that I know you had a lot of experience, but I, I wanted to make sure we hit on the, the leadership experience that you had and running these RIAs. And by the way, just as a final thought on all of that from things that you've shared, even in this integrator idea, you know, Michael Kitsis has been sharing a lot of research lately about these founders, these entrepreneurs that you're talking about, they start these businesses to serve clients. They start hiring some people and they get to that crux where they have maybe eight, nine employees and they have the hardest job, which is managing eight, nine people. That's a full-time job, plus the full-time job of managing all of your clients. And they they reach that crossroads of, do I now want to go be a full-time CEO and hire a bunch of people and build a form and get to 10, 20, 30, 300 employees? Or do I want to keep being a financial advisor? Um, and I think that is a challenge our industry struggles and deals with all the time. And I love the advice you've provided today to basically say, you should hire somebody to think about the managing and running of your firm. And I think that is a little bit beyond just a COO because most COOs in these RIAs today are, you know, maybe running technology or putting processes together. But there is kind of, you need that person who can really manage everybody um, who's really going to run the firm. And that was the big message I heard from you today. Who's thinking about recruiting? Who's thinking about talent? Who's thinking about career path development? Who's thinking about how to grow the firm through people? You either have to be that person as the entrepreneur, or you got to decide my best and highest use is being a rainmaker and serving clients and taking care of people as an advisor. And so I love that you share that today. I appreciate the distinction as it continues to come out in research. Yeah, thank you. I've helped many advisors through that transition period of what path do I take? Because it is one of the most challenging roles and it's such a uh, burn of time. It ends up affecting their relationships with their partners and their children. And it really is something that 
that very successful individual needs to deal with. It's a great problem to have. It just needs to be dealt with sooner versus later. Yeah. Of your own sanity and relationships. I love it. All right. We're going to transition into the mile marker minute with you. Oh, so this perfect. is our lightning round of we've got three questions that need to be answered in a minute. All right. Um, so if you're ready to go, I've got three questions for you. Okay. Um, so you good to go? Yep. Awesome. All right. Question number one, it pertains to what we've talked about today. Advisors that want to find new talent, where is the number one best place for them to recruit new talent for their organization? Uh, through their network that they have in their community, talking to people who you know and letting people know that you are looking for a specific profile. And that is through email, that's your phone calls, that's through community meetings, networking within your community. Fantastic. What is the single best book that you have read to develop yourself as a leader running these large, complex organizations? Oh, there's so many. Uh, one recently is uh, The Six Geniuses. Really spot on. Yeah, Patrick Lencioni, right? Six Types of Working Genius. Excellent book. We'll put that in the show notes. All right. And my final question for you, what is the most important piece of technology in a large scaling advisory firm? Oh, I would have to say your cell phone. Oh, okay. I like it. Unpack it. That you can be on the go anywhere, email, you can look at a PowerPoint, you can look at a PDF, you can forward something, internet, schedule, phone calls, texting. It's all right there. Uh, I really feel that's the, the most important one. That is a great answer. You know, I, I thought you were going to go with a piece of advisor technology. Um, and, well, and no, you. Number two is the CRM. Okay. The central nervous system of any organization. And they are mostly underutilized by firms. We could do a whole podcast on that probably. Yeah. Uh, love the answer of the cell phone. It is a piece of technology. I mean, we all already have them in our pockets, but are you actually running your business from your phone? I think is a good question. Or are you just using it for more personal nature? Um, you can set these things up as efficiency machines. Great answer. You nailed the mile marker minute. Uh, so thank you so much for the insights. Too. I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> Proud of you. Um, and thank you for the other insights that you shared on the podcast today. Before we sign off, where is the best place for people to connect with you? And is there anything you want to shout out or plug uh, before we leave today? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, so I am helping myself through my transition. So I am presently on garden leave. Actually, it's been an interesting parallel. I've helped so many advisors for decades through their transition. And now I find those same principles and process work through mine. So yeah. I've been giving myself a little bit of distance here the last couple of months and plan to for the next couple of months. If you want to reach out, you want to chat, you're welcome to uh, reach out to me a couple of different ways. Easiest is probably LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and I've... Yep. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes so people can click that and find you easily. Thank you. And then my personal self, um, email is Casa de Armitage, like House of Armitage at Cox.net. I know it sounds weird. We live in a Spanish house that Love looks it. like it's 100 years old and... I've had that email for 20 years. So it's Casa de Armitage at Cox.net. Cox spelled C-O-X yes. .net. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll reserve my phone number. 
Yeah, that's that's probably wise. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Carolyn. This has been a lovely conversation. I appreciate the insights that you've shared. Um, and I really appreciate you gifting your time to come on the podcast today. Oh, it's pleasures online. Thank you so very much. I hope it's been helpful. It has. All right, everybody. That's another episode of Connected. We will see you on the next one.